One, I, I want to say, Andy, I really appreciate, I'm talking to you, Andy, I really appreciate the most important thing that happens on a Sunday morning is the reading of God's Word. And uh, no one comes up here, you know, you practice, and I guarantee Andy practice, and other people practice, no one comes up here thinking, I'm going to read the Scripture, and the Holy Spirit's going to start touching me, and I'm not going to be able to get through it. If you knew that was going to happen, you would just take your name off the list. <laughs> we all would. But how beautiful and precious that uh, your heart's open and that the Lord would touch you. I, now, I can get it if you feel like I was going to get to the rest, but in my mind, I'd rather wait because when the Lord's touching you as you read, though I know it's uncomfortable, I think in some ways maybe we listen better. Uh, and, uh, but I know it's very uncomfortable. I do this all the time in a sense, but... But I want you to know how much I appreciate uh, your reading and being open and available to the Lord. That's not a little thing. Uh, and uh, it's very powerful. All right. <clears throat> Where did the mic go? I need the mic one more thing real quick. So, Chriselle, would you come up here? <laughs> well, that was a good, almost got a heart attack. I'm going to preach today, but... I got the most incredible text this week. I thought that would be the best sermon on Bible Sunday. Do you need me to get my phone so you, are you have your phone with you? So then your text can give you the... So I'm getting this text from Chriselle, and I get texts from Chriselle. And, uh, but it was an incredible insight that I never thought of. I mean, there's lots of those. But it was so powerful, and it was so appropriate to Bible Sunday, the focus on the scripture. So, would you, I'm giving your notes, I thought about telling you or not telling you, I thought the shock of this whole thing <laughs> would, would, would suit your personality better than if I gave you a heads up. Would you mind kind of reading what you wrote? Or, or you, can, you don't have to read, but I thought you have a little, all right, please. I'll just read the text because I'm not prepared at all. Um, in the parable of the sower, after the crowds disperse, the disciples come to Jesus for an explanation. Before he explains it, he calls them blessed and says they have ears to hear and eyes to see. He calls them that before they understand, before he explains it to them. They weren't blessed for their capacity to hear and understand on their own. Jesus called them blessed because they wanted to hear and see and they went to him for understanding. I have never noticed that before. They weren't gifted with a special ability to understand what the crowd didn't understand. They were graced with the desire to go to Jesus for understanding. Thank you. Now, Lord, we pray that we would be people who would be graced uh, with your help to have a desire to absolutely want to hear, read, uh, learn, mark, study, and inwardly digest your holy word. And Lord, Lord we ask for your blessing because without you, uh, your word can be boring and disconnected. But we pray that you pour out your Holy Spirit, that it would be alive and transformative for us, that we would live as your people and the carriers of your light and your life and be a, a part of your solution for this world that you die for. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, this morning I want to look at, sorry, I want to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. So 
again, Advent is, Advent is about not Christmas, but Advent is about the second coming, the paying attention, the coming of Jesus. Jesus is going to return to judge the living and the dead. All right? And we go through four weeks of Advent to prepare us that having rightly prepared ourselves to be holy people following Jesus Christ, then we can properly value and remember with great uh, love and affection his first coming. So if we're going to be prepared to, to, to worship and, and to be prepared for Christmas, then we also then must first be prepared for the fact that he's not coming back as a baby in a manger. He's coming back and revealing himself in the fullness of who he is. He is King of kings and he's Lord of lords. Then we have four weeks, uh, three other weeks. And the second week is, if we're going to prepare ourselves and be holy people, we must be people of the scriptures. And so we read from Romans that these things have been written for our learning. Meaning, We're not just reading old stories about Jonah or Elijah or Paul or whatever it is, uh, as if they're just interesting history. Now, I think when you know the history, it makes the stories make more sense. But, but what should be thrilling us is that we should be learning in principle and by the power of the Spirit that what God has revealed in the past applies in new and present ways now. All right? And so that's what uh, Paul says. There's, we could go to 1 Peter as well, other places uh, where Peter writes this kind of thing. But this morning, I want to look at and focus on some of the problems. And I want to remind you that when he writes this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he's talking about people in the church. Now, not this church. <laughs> not this church, but he's talking about people in the church. And when you read this thing, in some ways, we're like, this is so common today that we don't realize this is his description of things going completely amiss. Now, they were completely amiss in Paul's day, all right? And so we're not supposed to be surprised that things are so messed up today, all right? And we're going to talk a little bit about the spirit of control uh, and how that operates in a church. But here we go this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 3, the first five verses, and then we're going to get into chapter uh, the verses 10 to 17 will take less time there, but here we go. Uh, he's right, Paul writing to Timothy, but realize this, that in the last days, now the last days started at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, all right? So we have been in the last days. So people say, do you think we're in the last days of the end time? People say that to me. And they get real serious and they kind of lean in when they say that. And of course I say, well, yes, we're in the last days. We've been in the last days since Jesus. But that's not the answer they want to hear. They, if, when, when someone asks you if you're in the last days, what they want you to be able to say is, yeah, I think it's going to happen any time, like tomorrow. And, and the point is, we don't know. It could sure happen. The Lord could come back tomorrow, but it could be longer as well. In either case, uh, Hebrews says, as we see the day appearing, we should devote ourselves all the more to the gathering of the brother, brethren, the breaking of bread, the reading of the word, worship, uh, and serving. We should do these basic things all the more because the time is drawing short. And it's shorter, but we don't know how close we are to the end. So, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. If your expectation is that when you came to Christ, uh, that everything was going to get easier, and I've heard people present the gospel to people that way, as if, you know, if you just accept the, the gospel, that everything in your life is going to be easy and perfect, if that's your expectation... Uh, you know, it's not true. It's not according. Look at the people who love Jesus. Look at Jesus' life and look at the people that love Jesus the most. They all experience tremendous difficulty in persecution. Now, persecution is not the same. I mean, not everyone's getting beat up by mobs like Paul was, but there are plenty of people uh, who today are getting beat up by the mobs. 
There's people in the last week uh, that were in the news that were being uh, uh, burned to death. I want to say in Gabon, but I can't remember what country it was in West Africa, uh, by Muslims. I mean, things are happening all over the world. The Chinese, I mean, things, people are being killed for their faith. So the things that Paul went through, they're happening, but our persecutions may be of a different level, but nonetheless, if you're following Jesus, they're surely going to come. Why? Three things. Lovers of self, lovers of money, and lovers of pleasure. What we don't hear in that kind of church that, that Paul is warning us about is people who are lovers of Jesus, lovers of each other, and loving of the world that he died for. That's what we're looking for. A lot of churches, they exist for themselves. And it's all about aggrandizing themselves and keeping themselves happy. Uh, they're self-assertive in the worst kind of self. I mean, we all like a person who's not afraid to say, I want a steak instead of the chicken or whatever. We, we like people who are self-assertive in one sense. But there is a spirit of control that where in many churches, people are running the show and they decidedly do not want the Holy Spirit to rule and reign in the church. I mean, there's, there's pastors who have been fired for, for not uh, finishing the service at noon uh, on a regular basis. I've been in churches like that. There'd be meetings and meetings and meetings uh, if the pastor was long. Fortunately here, that's not the case. Not to give you any ideas. For men will be lovers of money, lo lovers of self, and that's the all the rest of these things really go under that heading. They're lovers of self, and, and, and they love money, they're boastful, uh, they're self-confident, they, they, they think they know they got the world in their hand, they think they got everything figured out, boastful, they're arrogant, they feel superior to other people. These are all believers we're talking about, or people who appear to be believers. They're revilers or blasphemers, people who speak against God, speak against the Spirit, speak against other believers. We need to be really careful. You know, there's people that we, uh, we don't know. I mean, Joe Olstein's one of these guys that people just feel the need to tell you how he's nothing. I mean, anyone who listens to my sermons and his sermons, they're very different. But of course, he's preaching to 50,000 or millions of people. But isn't it amazing that the Bible says, don't judge another man's servant, and people feel so free to badmouth that guy? I think I told you I was on a flight coming back from Dallas, and I sat next to a guy who got bumped and got in the middle seat, and he owned uh, uh, topless bars, whatever, and uh, he's talking to me, and blah, blah, blah. We had this long conversation. Finally, he teared up after telling me his wife had been killed by a drunk driver, and he said, late at night, when I watched Joel Olsen, he said, I think to myself, I got to get saved. I got to come to Jesus, and I thought to myself, man, I thought, Joel Olsen preaches a gospel that's good news. So much of the church preaches a gospel that's bad news. It might be shallow. Who's to say? I don't listen to him, but I can tell you this. I got more sense than to badmouth the guy. You got to really know your stuff to be able to badmouth all these people that people badmouth. I've been that guy. I'm trying to behave as I get older. Because part of revilers is to speak against people who God is using. They're disobedient to parents. They don't follow any kind of structure. There's a great rebellion of things. Uh, the building block of society is, is of course, uh, fathers loving children and mothers loving children and children loving them back and, and, and operating in a, in a constructive, healthy thing. So much today, that's not going on. Ungrateful, a sign of a church that's toxic. 
is the people aren't grateful. Uh, they're, they're not only ungrateful, they're unholy. They, they take lightly holy things. Now, I want you to know something. I think our church, we don't do everything right, but I think that the sincerity with the sacraments to our church, uh, I, I think this church gets some of this stuff really well. We're not perfect, and we need to pay attention because we could be any of these things. But I was thinking, you know, people who take lightly and profane the things of God, that's not something that I can say I've, I've ever seen in this church, and I've been here 23 years. But unloving, they're so self-concerned, they're not concerned about anybody else. Irreconcilable. People who you cannot make things right for. They, they won't forgive. You can't figure it out. You know, the Bible says, as much as you are able, be at peace with all men. And the whole point of Paul writing that in Romans 12 is, there are some people, no matter what you do, you won't please them. We had a church split back in 1999. And uh, the people didn't like that we were praying for the sick and the Holy Spirit was kind of beginning in very small ways beginning to come into our church in a, in, a, in a real way, even if it was a small way. And so they said to me at first, well, well Ron, uh, they were being mean to visitors. I mean, it was, you know, we couldn't afford it. A church of you know, 50 people, you can't afford to be mean to visitors, right? But uh, uh, they complained about the music because we had all this new music like Amazing Grace. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. It's in writing. We still got, I mean, maybe we should have burned it, but I, I still got the letters. They told me I should be like Billy Graham. I should lead people to Christ and send them to other churches. I used to get together with four guys or pastors locally, and they said, we agree with those people. Send them to our church. <laughs> but anyway, so first they said, well, you can pray for healing, but you need to do it at a different service. You can't do it at the service we want to be at. And I think they might have liked the nine, but whatever it was. I either had to do it before or after. So let's say they liked the 11. They were saying, well, if you want to do a pray for healing, then you got to do it. I mean, they're telling the priest, according to canons, everything, you don't tell the priest how to do it. But, but no, they had no problem telling me. So they told me, I said, okay, I'll do another service. I'll do it at the whatever. When we did that, people came there, and they didn't like it. Then they said, well, no, you, it's not good enough that you do it at 9 and have a separate service. You got to do it on Saturday. And I said, okay, we'll do it on Saturday. And what I found out was, every time I agree with them, they just changed the thing. And I realized that no matter what I did, they weren't going to be pleased. They were irreconcilable. Because at the bottom line was, they wanted the Holy Spirit not being in control of our church. They were afraid of God being in, in control. But they were not afraid of themselves being in control. Let me tell you something. We need to be worried when God's not in control. When people can, can, can be preaching and all these things, if, if the Lord's not touching us, if, if, if things aren't happening beyond us, then, then we haven't been to church yet. Irreconcilable. Malicious gossip. What's a gossip? A gossip tells the truth, but it, truth that shouldn't be told. There's a lot of things that's true about me that, that I don't want you to know. I mean, people make fun of me. There's a lot of good things to make fun of me. I rock all the time. I, mean, I don't want people to, you to know how weird I am. I, don't, I mean, there's so many things my kids could say. <coughs> Gossip is telling the truth. Slander's lying. Exaggerate. So, but you know, a whole lot of what shouldn't be said is a sign of a toxic church. Is a church that is telling all kinds of things that while they might be true, they should never be said. One of the rules is, if you're talking to someone and you speak, are, is the person going to think less of the person you're speaking of? 
There are times that serious things have to be said. Things, you know, there's decision, but, but if we're saying things in a way that we're going to make someone else look worse in saying, then it's gossip and we shouldn't be saying it. Uh, without self-control, brutal, instead of gentle, it's like the offices, they're, they're like savages. People who are brutal in their behaviors and attitudes. Haters of the good. This is in the church, Paul's talking about. People who hate the good. Treacherous, betrayers of men and women. Mean people who are your friend. Uh, we had a guy here one time, had a cancer. I remember going with him. I was with uh, Father Todd. Some of you don't know Father Todd, but years ago we went to Shan's, prayed for this man, and he was miraculously, by every account, healed of cancer. But do you know he started a church split because he said, I don't like it that I don't know when the coffee hour is every Sunday. I, I said to him, I said, well, do you believe, because he complained, and some people come back more than, you know, two or three weeks in a row. I said, can you imagine that some people have a problem that isn't fixed in two or three weeks? I said, when, when we pray for you in the hospital, do you believe God healed you? Oh, yeah. I, believe, well, he, I said, do you believe you're healed? Yes, I believe it was a miracle. Do you believe it was God or the devil? I believe it was God. I said, do you believe when we're praying for people up here, do you believe God's moving or the devil's moving or if it's fake? He said, oh, I believe it's God's moving. I said, so then what is the problem? He said, well, I like to have my coffee hour. I want to know that every Sunday between 12 and 12.15, we can have our coffee hour. I like coffee hours because normally they come with cookies. I mean, nothing wrong with that. I'm not, I'm not against coffee. But he literally created a split in the church and the foundational issue was that he could not control, though he had been healed. That the time that we take for people who want prayer and ministry at church, he could not control. If I had said, well, we'll only do it for five minutes or 20 minutes, he wanted me to set a time. What's the problem with setting a time? You don't really know how many people are going to come. I mean, it's impossible. And the whole point of the Holy Spirit being in control. I just wish the Holy Spirit was in more control. Don thinks that means the sermons will be shorter, but anyway, this, we all got different agree. We, we, Don and I agree about the Holy Spirit being in control. We have disagreements about what that might look like. Treacherous. Reckless. Do you know more people today are dying for people who run through stoplights and, uh, and stop signs than are getting killed by drunk drivers? People just act rashly, crazily. Don't think about the actions, the consequences. Paul said, church is full of them. I don't think our church is, thank God. Conceited. This is people, you know, I already talked about arrogant and boastful. Conceited is people that, it's, it says, it's like there's, it's a passive verb. And the idea here is that it's like there's a blindness, that, that the smoke has come in and they can no longer see. That their arrogance and superiority has become a state where they're so comfortable with the way they see things that they're not open to learning, they're not, they just think they know better, and there's a smoke that blocks them from seeing anything else. That's what the verb means. It's like a smoke blocking you to not be able to see, but that kind of conceited. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Holding a form of godliness, meaning they're so content in the spirit of control, and the church being the way it always was, and this and that, that they're so content that this is what it says about this, this word, uh, this expression. It says, this is a middle, a perfect middle participle. This is a settled state of willful self-assertion. 
institutionalized religion can be a cruel taskmaster. Meaning, they're so used to how things they think they should be for them to be that way, that if God were to change things, they don't care. They resist it to their death. You have to kick them out of church, or they'll kick you out of the church. Now, that's not what St. Andrew's like, thank God. We don't love Jesus as much as we need to. We're, we're growing, but, but that's, that's not how it is here. But, but I've been, I grew up in churches like this. I can assure you, tragically, What's the solution? There's two solutions. He gives the first immediately at the end of verse 5. Read it carefully. Avoid such men as these. Do you know that toxicity is contagious? You get around a bunch of angry people, you'll start getting, their demons will jump on you. You get around a bunch of people who are toxic, that can't be pleased, and you say, well, have you ever told them you got this problem? And And they don't have any intention. The Bible says, avoid these people. Then he says to to the pastor later, he says, when you get contentious people who you can't get anything, you can't make it right with them, says, rebuke them twice and then tell them they can't come back. Do you know what most churches would do if the pastors took the difficult people and said, we have heard you, we've listened, we've spent all this time, but this is not the place. You can't come back because when you come, all you do is make trouble. The Bible says, give them two chances. On the third, let me tell you something. Thank God, not St. Andrews, but in a lot of places, you would have a riot. If you, the people who don't even like the people, as soon as the authority of the church takes the authority of God to do what needs to be done, the church would turn on the pastor, I guarantee you. I've seen it many times. All right. Now, why is all this on Bible Sunday? Because let me tell you something. The only way we can stay clear in a messy world where this is not just how the outside is, but this is what the inside can look like, is we've got to know God's Word. So Paul says, look at my example. It's following a biblical, modern and, and a biblical model and pattern. And understand the authority of God's Word. Because if you understand the authority of God's Word, it, when you dedicate yourself to the Scriptures, you will find yourself being holy in all the good things, and you won't get contaminated with all these things that could contaminate any of us. So, verse 10, he says, Now, you followed my teaching, talking to Timothy, he discipled him, you followed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience, love, perseverance, persecution, and sufferings. You've got a scrapbook, Timothy, you follow me, you've been around, you know. He mentions three places where, right around where Timothy grew up. He's saying, you know the stories how the mob beat me up. You know the stories of how I got this happened here and this happened here. You grew up there, Timothy. You remember. This is what happens to people who follow Jesus. This idea that if we're following Jesus, we're going to become uh, super wealthy and all this kind of stuff is ridiculous. And Paul says, hey, it doesn't follow the model of Jesus. It doesn't follow the model of the holy people. Timothy, you know, pay attention. You followed all these things, that, such as happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and at Lystra, or Lystra. What persecutions I endured. That's how you know the faithful Christian, what they've been through the tough times, and they're still holding on. One time I was going through a really tough time. I think it was the second church split I had gone through. And I had this picture about holding on, and, I, and, I, and I had, I'm going to try to hold on, and I realized... Uh, in, a, in a prayer appointment, I had this picture, and I was like in the Gulf of Mexico, and I was drowning, and I was holding on to Jesus' hand, and I didn't have the strength to hold in, and I felt the despair that I couldn't hang on, and then the picture zoomed in, 
And it showed that Jesus was holding me here. And that even when I couldn't hold on here, he had me securely. I can't tell you the peace and the comfort that came to me. All I could see was that I was slipping. But then it zoomed in and I could see the Lord's hand on me and it, it steadied my heart. But I'll be honest with you, I wish I had more faith on those days. I was scared to death on some of the things that I've been through. And yet God has been so faithful. Paul said he'd been through far more. But Paul said uh, he, he didn't know how to thank God for all the good things. Look at here. In light of all the persecution he endured, he says, out of them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, listen to this. You might not like it, but it's really important to know because the devil's going to tell you you're doing something wrong even when you're doing right. Watch this. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. People will not know why they don't like you. The demons in them won't like the Holy Spirit in you. People at work that you never did anything to. People, that never, people, the more you become like Jesus, some people will run to you because they want to know about Jesus, and some people, because they don't know the voice in their head or the enemy, they will turn against you and they will hate you for no good reason. Bible says we wrestle against flesh and blood, uh, not against flesh and blood, meaning the people don't know themselves. Why? All right, they don't know why. Thank you. You think this is going to stop my gravelly voice? You're very kind, though. The closer and closer you get to Jesus, there are people who will get saved, who will get delivered. I mean, you will see the most wonderful and beautiful things. But there's this certain group of people who at this stage of their life don't get it. And they will work against you in the most remarkable ways. But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. How's that for make you all happy on Bible Sunday? You think bad things are bad now, they're going to get worse. But let me tell you something. Where sin abounds, what happens also? Grace abounds. Yes, it's going to get worse, but the good will get better still. The fire will purge us and chase us more and more to Jesus. But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Meaning, they're such involved with a spirit of deception that while they start out lying, they begin to believe their own lies, and then they get taken away into further and further lies. I remember John Stott, the famous, some of you don't know who that is, but he was uh, kind of like Billy Graham, but he was more like the teaching, not just evangelist. Michael Green was the evangelist of Great Britain, but Britain, Great Britain, but John Stott was the Bible teacher uh, of about 40 years in the Anglican church and throughout all the churches in England. Very, very powerful guy. And he spoke to, to Susan and I were sitting in a graduate uh, little coffee, uh, and he was speaking to us as graduate students and ministers. And he said this, he said, he said, I never saw anybody in the Anglican church get liberal in their theology who ver first did not have a failure in their morals with some kind of affair. He said, what happens is people have an affair, instead of repenting, they try to cover it up and, and find a way to excuse it. And then, in that deception, all that, they end up getting worse and worse, and then their theology and their doctrine starts changing. Now, I don't know. John Stott, lived a, he was an old man, he knew a lot. But I'll never forget, and I, you could see how the demonic could work through our sins and then end up being, starting out living deception and then getting worse and worse. It's not hard to see in many areas. 14, this is what he says, and this is for us. You, however, 
Continue in the things you've learned. I have to say, there's been periods of my life that I got bored with the Bible. Before I knew about the Holy Spirit, there was a part of me that loved it, but there was a part of me that was bored. I cannot imagine being in the ministry all these years if I did not encounter the, empower, encounter the power of God. If I didn't have chances where when I pray, people get better. Do you know I prayed for years and years and nothing really seemed to happen? Do you know the difference of being able to pray and God to show up? It's still hard, but it's a whole lot better now. Continue. Continue things that you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you learned them. He learned them from his mother. Timothy learned from his mother, his grandmother, and Paul. He said, you know them. You know they weren't off the track. You know they weren't looking for money and all this. You know your mom and your grandma. You know how they were. In my case, I know my grandfather. I know my parents. I know. And that from childhood, you have known the sacred, the holy writings. Why is it good to know the scriptures? This talking about the Old Testament specifically. But there is no article here. So the holy writings could include, although certainly didn't include it in the, I mean, it includes it in principle, if not specifically which are able to give you the wisdom, the understanding that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now he says, you can count on it. And he's telling Timothy, look, there's all this toxicity in the self and all, all these people that have been similarly raised and things, they're getting off the track because they haven't stayed rooted in the scriptures. And he says, remember the scriptures. And then he says, remember the quality of the scriptures, where they come from and therefore the authority they must have. Do you know that it's possible that very gifted people could teach you wrong? That's why you can never give up knowing your Bible. Do you know why we say the Nicene Creed every Sunday? The historic churches and the Anglican church read the Nicene Creed so that it's fresh in your mind, the essential doctrines of the faith, so that no minister or preacher would get up and say something contrary. That's the idea. That's why we do it. I hope we don't need it in this generation, but if we don't hold to making sure we know the fundamentals of the faith, a generation will come where preachers will come and tell you something else, and we'll be in trouble. All Scripture is ex exhaled by God. Just like our voice, the breath is coming through the larynx, or some of you guys are science, you know, doctors, but however it works, somehow it's exhaling the breath. The Scriptures are the vocalization of the heart of God for us. And as such, they have authority. Oh, what about this and homosexuality? What about this and this and this? and that? Hey, we don't have a right to change things. If it's not God, let's go fishing and hunting. But if it's God, I need to make it the most important matter of my life to obey Jesus, to know his word, and to please him, and to let that life of him, expressed by the power of the Holy Spirit, work through all that I do. We don't just read the Bible like we get a gold star. We get to encounter the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We get to, but listen, I, I read the Bible for years and didn't have any real connection with God. If you don't approach the scripture with an expectation to hear from God and to obey him, you won't get much out of it. I just, for years, I just did it because that's what you were supposed to do. When I read the scriptures, I'm like, Lord, I know how my heart can be hard, so would you speak to me today? Would you show me the things 
that need to be corrected because surely there's plenty. Would you show me? Would you teach me? Would you encourage me? Would you refresh me? Would you fill me in this time? That's how we got to approach the Scriptures, with a humble submission to hear from God and then to do what He says. And at one sense, we can't do what He says. But as we commit ourselves to do what He says and we repent where we're wrong, the Holy Spirit will grow us and enable us to change more and more and more. All Scripture is inspired by God. And therefore, it is profitable for teaching. It's worth our time to teach it. Do you know what is unique to the office of the bishop in a church? The teaching office, meaning more than other priests. All our priests are very good with the Bible. We're so blessed here. We got fantastic people here. And we got lay people who know the Bible. But the teaching office of a bishop is to make sure that the priests and the people come, that they know the scriptures, that they're not going to mess us up. But it's got to, the qualifications are all based upon what the scriptures say. Profitable for teaching, for reproof, for showing us what's wrong and getting us back on track in terms of correction, for training and righteousness to show us how to grow. How do you, we know how we got saved by faith. How do you grow? By faith. Do you understand that? This is crucial. We get saved by faith, but we grow by faith. By asking God for the help that we need to be changed. Right? And the scripture is exposing it, stirring up thing after thing, layer upon layer of this and that, and bringing all these things to bear so that we can come into this church in such an attitude of mind that we'll be stirred up, exposed, what needs to be exposed, and taught that we could obey, repent, uh, receive, and then move out and be the light in this world that Jesus has called us to be. All scriptures were inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God, what could happen to them? They may be adequately equipped. These are two verbs which together mean that you are, uh, you are proficient. So imagine if we're learning Swahili or we're uh, uh, going to teach a, an algebra class, that we know things in such a way that we, are, we have an excelling competence. This is, this is not that you have to be perfect, but this is... This is to be proficient in such a way that you are adequately prepared to reproduce in others what God has done in you. Not everybody's got to a place where they can reproduce in others the good things. We're only reproducing the bad things at this point. All right, But it's there so that we can be proficient, so that we can be adequately equipped for every good work. How do we know which works are ours to do and what works are others? Because we learn to hear His voice. Uh, we've learned to pay attention to his gifts and his calling and his purposes. Uh, I mean, that's how Majida, you know, the whole thing about the music, what a story it would be. And I almost wish you had told them that God put the music together with linguistics and all this stuff that God did. Nobody could make it up. But in hearing his voice and knowing his word, how did she make sure it was right? She made sure that she knew how God speaks. He speaks through his word. He speaks through other, uh, other Christians. He speaks through the scriptures. He speaks through circumstances. He speaks by his spirit. All right? She learned that all in experiencing God. She was equipped and trained in certain key areas. All right? That's what we're coming for in the coming of this church, in the worship uh, of this church. We're here to learn about God and to get on board with God. It is a toxic world. There are people who are falling like flies. Churches are closing all other, all over. Why? Because they've left the authority of the Scripture and God. Eventually, 
No one's going to hold. There's enough opposition for the people who are trying to follow God the right way. But if we get off the track and we don't know God's word, it's only going to get worse and worse. Uh, we can't count on it. You know that we can't count on it? I've been here 23 years. And what Paul says to me is sending, he's sending you, continue on. Continue on. feels like sometimes I'm just treading water in the meantime. <coughs> but whatever it takes, the only option is to continue on. To continue on. To be faithful. Uh, to find our purpose, our identity, our meaning, and what it means to be faithful every day. I'm trying to break things down more and more to all the simple things, making sure I'm doing the little things. Because if we do the little things, we won't miss the big things. All right. On this Sunday, we emphasize our need to hear God's Word, to read it, to study, to mark, to learn, and to inwardly digest. That suggests a significant amount of time in our daily life with the Scriptures. If you wonder why you're not growing, it's because that's at least one of the key. Have you big check on the troubleshooting guide. Are you making God's word a priority for your life? And are you approaching the scriptures with an expectation that as God speaks, you're supposed to respond in obedience and faith and trust that you're stepping out with him? When you're doing that, you'll find yourself growing and maturing in Christ. Sunday mornings can't do that for you. The greatest preacher in the world can't do that for you. There's nothing that can replace the time you spend with God daily. I was greatly benefited by reading Christian biographies. If I could, I mean, everyone's not wired like me, but I can tell you this. I read the Bible, studied the Bible, but I was blessed and discipled by people who were dead hundreds of years. Reading Hudson Taylor, reading uh, George Mueller. I mean, I read these people, I read their stories to see how the Holy Spirit worked in their lives inspired me to understand how God wanted me to, uh, to live in my, in my life and through my life. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the good examples. Lord, there's such opposition to your word. The spirit of control would love to take us back. But Lord, we pray. Lord, we've got a liturgy, we've got some guidelines, but we pray that your house would be a house of prayer. That our prayers would ascend, praying in agreement with your word with lives that are committed to your word. And then, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would descend and make us holy people. Oh, we thank you for your forgiveness and for your grace. And we just sense like never before we have a great need. There's great opposition around us. Uh, Lord, and, and there's great opposition within us that we have to continue to die to and to choose you. Lord, we ask for your help. And Lord, we thank you in advance for all the good things you're going to do in our, each of our lives, our families in this church. And so we bless your holy name, Lord. We thank you for being such a good Savior. And now we bless your people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven.